0: Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink Software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at mathworks.com. WBUR Podcasts, Boston. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and you're listening to The Common. Jennifer Smith, reporter and podcast host at Commonwealth Beacon. Welcome to The
1: Common. Thanks, Daryl. Thrilled to be here.
0: So, Jennifer, you have a story about Mayor Wu's housing production goals for her first term to address the housing shortage here in Boston. Tell us more about the mayor's goals here.
1: So I think maybe the best way to start here would be talking about sort of why we have goals in the first place. So when we talk about housing production goals, there's kind of internal and external reasons that we want to know about them, right? It's not about just saying, hey, there's a number of units that we're going to build and that's it. You know, shake it off, walk off, we're good, we're done. Internally, housing production goals kind of help an administration see where it is at meeting its different targets. It clarifies expectations across divisions because housing, as a complicated topic, is something that at minimum brings in the Office of Housing, the Boston Planning and Development Agency, and the Boston Housing Authority, along with the central administration. So having kind of those agreed upon goals is really important inside the city. And then on top of that, they can be kind of communicated to other government entities. So they can get a sense of where Boston thinks it can get to. And then externally, of course, which is where we sit. These goals help residents, journalists and advocates see what the plan is for the city, kind of give input on those proposals and hold administrations accountable. So how's that for sort of uh, uh, why are we even talking about housing production? Nobody likes talking about housing production.
0: Thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate that. I'm getting the weight of all of this for sure. So now that we have this understanding of housing production goals, what exactly are the mayor's goals?
1: Yes. So a brief overview here. These are preliminary goals. Uh, These numbers were presented to basically a group of housing partners last Thursday afternoon, and the final version is expected in January or February. The proposal that they rolled out says that they plan on, by the end of 2025, building 8,300 new market rate units, and then 4,700 new income-restricted homes. So they're basically saying during the Wu administration, because this clock started back in 2021, they are expecting that they'll put about 13,000 new units into the permitting system. So that's their top line there. But then it also comes with, you know, renovating goals, greening goals. I think plenty of people remember that Mayor Wu uh, came into office on sort of a Green New Deal policy. So the plan is essentially that by, again, the end of this first term, 3,000 units of affordable housing will undergo kind of major energy retrofits. 1,500 public housing units are going to be weatherized. And then a really important note in there is they say that annual evictions from the start of the administration are supposed to drop 20% over that window so that sounds like a big promise it it is and and part of the context here of course is when we talk about evictions as well you know half of all of the evictions that happened last year happened in boston's communities of color so if there's a drop of the scale that they're promising it's mostly those communities that would end up feeling both the relief but then also of course probably continue to feel the brunt of what continues
0: Okay, I want to go back in history a little bit because Michelle Wu is not the first
1: mayor to have this type of goal, right? Right. Well, so this is what's interesting is Michelle Wu is part of a long lineage to say we're going to set some sort of production goal. But what does set her apart here is that she's not doing long-term planning. This is a short mm. window. It feels like maybe five years is a long time, but this is really just one term. And we're actually in the middle of it right now. And the presentations don't break out what's already been built from what needs to be built. Um, you can kind of back of the napkin math it, but it's hard to pin down exactly where we are in this unit count. And that reluctance to go long-term, which the mayor described last week as a sort of unhelpful metric, is a break from the mayors menino and walsh who pretty regularly rolled out these sweeping plans that stretched a decade or more into the future they also had Mm. year-to-year goals but the long-term goals were kind of adjusted if the population growth rates changed if financial conditions changed Mm. so the wu administration plan is a little bit different from that because it says we're sticking within sort of the discrete time frame of what one mayor can do in one term
0: hmm. So to avoid those fluctuations in the goal, you just take baby steps and that allows you to to adjust
1: as you go. Totally. So there's uh, some really good reasons to use a short term goal, right? Because it means that you can really kind of get your arms around it. It means that uh, exactly to your point, you're not sort of grappling with the concept of, oh, my gosh, like, how do we get to 100,000 units? How do we get to 50,000 units? You can set that sort of discrete parameter there. But then part of the other thing that came up as I was uh, chatting with folks about this story is it also really does sort of hold your feet to the fire here when you have a long-term goal and you have... For instance, a year where housing production really tanks for one of them, it's not going to throw off your entire trajectory. You can make it up in another few years. Mm -hmm. But if you're just setting like a five-year goal and you have one where your housing production completely flattens, you might not hit that four or five-year goal in a way that you could kind of rally from it along a longer window.
0: We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back.
1: The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me On Point for Elements of Energy. Mining for a Green Future. Five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Did you kill Marlene Johnson? And we're back with more from Jennifer Smith of Commonwealth Beacon. So what's the strategy in getting this done? Do they have an idea of where they want to build? How are they thinking about price, etc.?
1: So this is all in the context of a moment of pretty big transition right now in the housing and development space. I think uh, we're all at this point pretty familiar with the process right now that we're in the middle of, which is basically reconfiguring the Boston Planning and Development Agency, how planning is working in the city, uh, trying to get our arms around really, really high interest rates, which are having maybe more of an impact on housing production than any sort of individual policy here. So there's Mm. a few tools in the toolbox that the Wu administration has kind of on a long term scale. They're pushing for things like transfer taxes. They're pushing to kind of keep overall pricing down through, you know, the rent stabilization policies. And those are both going to have a really hard time once they make it up to the statehouse. house. On the local level, what they can kind of push for is changing, for instance, requirements for how much affordable housing has to be built. They can mess around with tax incentives. They can basically try their best to alter the local market as much as they can.
0: Mm. Here's another thing. We have a housing shortage, but I think uh, more specifically... We have an affordable housing shortage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Will these goals make a dent in, in that?
1: I mean, I think that's the hope. The Wu plan is kind of a bigger swing than we've seen from prior administrations on the affordable front. But when we talk about the scale of the housing crunch, it crosses all housing types like we don't even have enough market rate units uh, we can get very kind of caught up in the concept of what is luxury and what is market rate and should there be incentives to build more of all housing types and I am not going to bore people by getting into what we mean when we say supply skepticism uh, but go Google and <laughs> but you know this is this is the thing right where it's we're trying to build as much as possible by targeting this lower end of the income spectrum but It is so expensive to build any kind of housing, not just affordable housing. So the question for the mayor is basically, how much can any one city move that needle? And then to what extent do we really need to be thinking about this as a regional problem?
0: Mm -hmm. Is there any way to, to track Mayor Wu's goals by the end of her term?
1: Yeah, so the hope here is since the presentation that they made was to a bunch of housing advocacy groups and housing partners that indicates a willingness to basically open up the numbers a bit more to kind of let us track what they're going to a little bit more. But one thing to also keep in mind is that Boston's housing production goals are also being tracked regionally. Uh, Boston is part of a group of mayors called the Metro Mayors Coalition, which is 15 mayors that have said, pretty ambitiously, to be honest, that they're going to build 185,000 units by 2030. And uh, in case you're wondering, they're not meeting those goals. But Boston's doing pretty well for its obligations on that. So we can sort of track where Boston's at through these regional commitments. But Bearing in mind that the state says itself that across Massachusetts, we're about 200,000 units short of where we need to be by 2030, Mm. and only 17,700 housing units were approved in the state last year, Uh, that is a pretty... I think, insurmountable problem for a lot of people. When you look at it from the outside, you say, well, are we just trying to bail out a rowboat that is full of holes? So it's going to take both a city strategy, but it's also going to take a lot of work from the state front on making policy changes along the lines of making it easier for cities to build what are called accessory or additional dwelling units. So kind of like these little units that can be plugged in and Backyards or in basements or in places where there's like a little bit of extra room that could be just one additional unit. So Boston, for instance, has been rolling out and trying for that policy in Mattapan. Yep. And so there's an effort on the part of Governor Healy's administration to make that easier to do all across the state right now. So it's a combination of saying... We're going to build this much, and we think we can build this much. And also, how do we make it easier for kind of the neighborhoods where there's been historically really low investment and very, very little housing growth to start to kind of catch up to where they might want to be?
0: Hmm. Jennifer, thank you for walking us through all of this. We really appreciate it.
1: An absolute delight.
0: That's reporter and podcast host at Commonwealth Beacon, Jennifer Smith. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Common. If you want to get in touch with us, please hit us up on Instagram at WBUR the common, or send us an email at the common at WBUR.org. I'm Daryl C. Murphy, and I will talk to you tomorrow.